Amen. Thanks, Mark, so much. <clears throat> yeah, we're going to be talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer today. How many people have actually, in this room anyway, have heard the name? Okay, so a good, good number of you. Well, I decided uh, this weekend to take my wife out on a hot date. So we got in the car, we packed a picnic lunch, and we went all the way up to Delburn. Do you know where Delburn is? It's up high, Highway 21, about 45 minutes. And then we went to a cemetery. That's what we do when we're old. And uh, anyway, there was a purpose for that, and I wanted to visit my, uh, my maternal grandparents' graves there in Delburn. And uh, they would have actually been alive during Dietrich's life, which is pretty amazing. So you can see there uh, on the PowerPoint, uh, there, I don't know if you can actually see, but my grandfather was like 1890, 1972, and my grandmother was a little bit later than that. And uh, one of the things, if you go to a cemetery, you'll notice if, if people have grave markers, they have a year of birth and a death year, and then they have a line, that dash. And uh, each one of us is going to have that dash one day. And so I thought we'd talk about Dietrich's, Dietrich's dash today. He was uh, born February 6, 1906, and he died April 29, 1945. So the big idea this morning is that in Dietrich's dash, we find a German Lutheran theologian and pastor embracing divine moments in his life. So I'd like you to think for a moment of the moments that God imparts into your life at times you may be aware of or times you might not be aware of. Well, Dietrich was born in Breslau, Germany on February the 4th, and we're told that he was uh, the sixth and his twin sister Sabine was the seventh respectively. When Dietrich was six years old, his family moved to Berlin, where his father Karl, a neurologist and professor of psychiatry, took over as head of the Berlin University Psychiatric Clinic, so his dad was brilliant. His mother Paula, also brilliant, a homemaker, and studied to become a teacher, and that, that actually was not a regular role for women at that time. Eric Metaxas, in his lengthy biography on Bonhoeffer, tells us that Dietrich's early role was as a strong protector, and I love this story. Listen to this. So uh, when uh, Dietrich was about six years of age, him and his mom went down to the river, and uh, Dietrich marveled at the sight of a dragonfly kind of hovering over the water. So wide-eyed, he whispered to his mother, look, there's a creature over the water, but don't be afraid. I will protect you. Isn't that great for a six-year-old? So Dietrich was um, uh, loved to play outside, and of course, uh, he was very gifted, we are told, musically. Uh, he played the piano. Now, I'm sure he didn't play as well as Dr. Jonah or Dennis Baptista, but he was a good piano player. Dr. Godsey, in his article on the Bonhoeffer family, wrote, and I quote, the Bonhoeffers embodied the best of the German liberal tradition that prized personal integrity and civic duty. And again, Dietrich grew to combine the analytical objectivity of his father and the piety and practical realism of his mother. Nursed and supported by this loving family, Dietrich grew to love life. He valued honesty and self-discipline, rejoiced in human ties and human pleasures, and enjoyed literature, music, and the arts. So he was a very well-rounded, integrated uh, upbringing that led to a deepening of his theological passion. In the biography Bonhoeffer, Martyr, Prophet, Spy, the author writes, when Dietrich announced his decision to study theology, his family peppered him with questions, theological questions, like was evil really overcome with good 
Or did Jesus want us to offer the cheek to an insolent person too? But Dietrich would apparently counter with questions like, do you think Jesus wanted anarchy? Or did he not go into the temple with a whip to drive out the money changers? Dietrich was kind of a feisty young theologian, kind of like Dr. Yo. Well, one of Dietrich's defining moments which would shape his later theology was in 1923, when Dietrich began to study at Tübingen University, and then his subsequent trip to Rome. Anyone here been to Rome before? A few, few hands have gone up. Well, um, I want you to take a look at this video because it actually transformed his life. And so he came here to Tübingen to spend the year studying theology. By all accounts, he was a brilliant student from the beginning. But something happened to him while he was here studying at Tübingen, which uh, ended up changing his life. It was that winter of 1923, I think it was the end of January. One day, uh, while he was skating, he took such a bad spill that he cracked his head on the ice and was unconscious for quite a long time. Uh, when his mother and father heard about this, they raced all the way from Berlin, very long distance by train, to come to be with their son. We can only guess that uh, because uh, their third son, Walter, was killed and they did not rush to his bedside, they thought he would get better, and of course he died. This time they would not make that mistake. So they raced all the way to Tübingen to be with him. And so they spent some time with him, he recovered, everything was fine. Uh, it ended up being his 18th birthday, so they had a really wonderful 18th birthday celebration with him while they were here. And it was during this time uh, that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer got this crazy idea about possibly spending a semester in Rome. And he introduced his parents to this idea. I received all sorts of magnificent things for my birthday. Papa had given me 50 marks for anything else I wanted. So I bought a guitar and I'm very happy about it. And just so you won't get over your astonishment, I'll tell you about the next completely unbelievable occurrence. Just think, it is possible that next semester I will be studying in Rome. Papa still thinks that I really should postpone it. Nevertheless, after thinking about it, I want to do it so much that I can't imagine ever wanting to do it more than I do now. Best wishes and don't be too envious. Now as parents, being parents, uh, don't really want their son to go to a foreign country for a long time. Um, it was a long trip in those days, it wasn't a short flight, and so they're not so keen on this, but he's kind of working on them. And then finally they agree to let him go, if he'll go with his elder brother, Klaus. Now Klaus is about five years older, so Klaus goes with Dietrich to Rome, and for him it's just, really, it's the mind-blowing event of his life. He can't believe he's getting to actually go to Rome. And when he gets there, he is taken not just with the classical world, because of course that's everywhere, but also with the church. And on Palm Sunday, he goes to St. Peter's uh, to see them celebrate the Mass, okay? This German Lutheran goes to St. Peter's to see the Mass. And on the altar, he sees for the first time something he's never seen. The universality of the church was illustrated in a marvelously effective manner. White, black, yellow members of religious orders. Everyone was in clerical robes united under the church. It truly seems ideal. He sees uh, these different races, these different ethnicities, these different colors celebrating uh, this seminal Christian moment on Palm Sunday. And it gives him a vision, visually, of the church. 
because we have to remind ourselves what he's covering uh, as a student, uh, what he's studying is this big question, this heavy theological question, what is the church? And here he is, just 18 years old, and he sees in front of his eyes a picture of the universal church. Now, it's not just Catholic while he's Protestant, but it's interracial, it's multinational. This really grabs him because it makes him think uh, he was already rather a cosmopolitan person raised in Berlin by academics, many Jewish friends, so he didn't have a really parochial German nationalistic vision of the church. But in a way, for the first time, he sees the Church of Jesus Christ in this universal way. And it really gets him thinking about this question, what is the church? So you think of this young college student and he had this experience, this global experience and it really changed his life. So what can we learn from this chapter of Dietrich's life? Well, Dietrich grew up enjoying his family and the bonds they shared. He loved to pursue truth and what is right and what is good. And he had a defining moment while studying uh, in Rome during a Palm Sunday Mass, and he was really captured by the grander vision of the Church Universal. So for us at Prairie, just to think about, in what ways are we grateful for the positive experiences in our family of origin? How do we treasure our time at Prairie, whether students or staff? Have we continued to thank the Lord that we have an opportunity to study and be part of such a great community here at Prairie? And then finally, to enjoy and really treasure your congregational experience because you may be surprised at what God teaches you along the way. So after Bonhoeffer studied at Tübingen, he went off to study at the University of Berlin. Now get this, he finished his doctoral thesis at age 21. How many of you are just in your first degree and you're about 21? Okay, so there's a few of you here. So it's amazing that he finished his doctoral thesis. His thesis was entitled The Communion of Saints, which Karl Barth actually called a theological miracle. And maybe it because Dietrich was so young, I don't know why. But according to Dr. Clifford Green, Bonhoeffer explores in this thesis what it meant to be Christ existing as community. Now Dietrich completed further training and in 1928 he pastored a German-speaking congregation in Barcelona. And apparently, he had time to preach to all the single ladies, as his picture reveals. Uh, one, later, one year later, in 1929, he became an assistant in systematic theology department at Berlin University. So we see in Bonhoeffer this real keen love for theology and a deep desire to put that theology into practice as a pastor. So let me just talk to you. If you're a youth or pastoral student here today, you need to have a strong love for theology. And if you're studying theology here today or you want to in the future, you should actually put that into praxis as a pastor. Now what's very interesting to me as I have studied Bonhoeffer's life so far is that several defining moments for Bonhoeffer came from his world travels. Dr. Emgard and anyone who's in Globetrek would be proud of Dietrich. And besides his trip to Rome, another defining moment for Dietrich came when he studied abroad in 1930 at Union Theological Seminary in New York. Biographers tell us his time in New York actually became a formative experience for him that expanded his horizons. Not only did he travel the U.S., he got down to Cuba, and he worked with the African-American Abyssinian Church in Harlem. Take a look. Bonhoeffer was in New York City in 1930 and 31, and it was when he visited the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem uh, with his friend from Union, uh, Frank Fisher, 
uh, an African-American from Alabama who invited Bonhoeffer up to Harlem to visit uh, Abyssinian Baptist Church. And what he saw there, uh, to cut to the chase, changed his life. He'd never seen Christianity quite like it. He'd never seen a church like it. He could see that the people there, obviously African-Americans who were no strangers to suffering, they, had, uh, they, they were not merely attending church, they were the church. He'd never heard preaching like that. He'd never seen a congregation really worshiping God in a powerful way, in a way that indicated this wasn't just something they were doing uh, as an intellectual exercise. It wasn't mere tradition. This was the body of Christ, the church being the church. He, he understood that that was real Christianity. That was what he later came to call religionless Christianity. So when he goes back to Germany in 1931, his friends can see that something is different about him. First started in theology, my idea of it was quite different, rather more academic, probably. Now it has turned into something else altogether. But I do believe that at last I am on the right track for the first time in my life. I often feel quite happy about it. I only worry about being so afraid of what other people will think as to get bogged down instead of going forward. I think I am right in saying that I would only achieve true inner clarity and honesty by really starting to take the Sermon on the Mount seriously. For him, it's less about intellectual insights and theological uh, observations and more to do with a kind of a holistic, full-throated worship of Jesus Christ. He really expressed that even to his students at Berlin University. He began to say things, to ask his students questions like, do you love Jesus? That's not the kind of thing you would have heard uh, in Berlin theological circles at that time. Bonhoeffer comes back from New York. Clearly, he has changed. His friends can see it. Uh, he, he really wants to be an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ. That's number one. So Bonhoeffer has changed, but Germany has also changed. So in 1933, uh, Adolf Hitler was made Chancellor of Germany, and the National Socialist agenda was in full swing. And from the beginning, Dietrich publicly criticized the National Socialist agenda and their influence on the German Lutheran Church. He became involved in the New Confessing Church, which refused to submit to the National Socialists. Later that same year, he gave a lecture, The Church and the Jewish Question, which he stated that the church has a duty to ask the state whether it is acting lawfully and to consider the option not only to bandage the wounds of the victims beneath the wheels of injustice, but to actually jam a spoke into the wheel itself. And his broadcast was censored and cut from the airwaves. Now, according to Eric Metaxas, churches were impacted when the Third Reich began forcefully living out its national socialist agenda, including the Aryan paragraph. This policy mandated that government employees must be of Aryan descent. And so if the German church, now essentially a state church, went along, all pastors with Jewish blood would be excluded from the ministry. And this really violated the very nature of what Bonhoeffer and others understood to be the church, according to Galatians 3.28. Well, what can we learn from this period of Dietrich's dash? Well, Dietrich began to integrate his deep theological study of the church with his practice as a pastor. 
He came to a new realization of the church by worshiping at the African-American church that transformed him from the inside out. And this new understanding and belief was a catalyst for Bonhoeffer to desire reform in the German Lutheran church. So for us at Prairie to think about, as you study your academic discipline, be sure to integrate it with your relationship with God and your spiritual formation practices that we have on campus. Be sensitive to divine encounters that God has for you each day along your journey because you never know that one of those things could actually change your life. Now, between 1933 and 1935, Dietrich pastored two congregations in London, and there he made further ecumenical contacts and informed Bishop Bell of Chichester of the situation in Germany. According to one writer, Bell became the most important international ally of the confessing church in Germany. In April 1935, Bonhoeffer returned to Germany and headed up an illegal seminary. Can you imagine? He had this illegal kind of underground seminary in a town called Finkenwald for the Confessing Church. According to one writer, this for Bonhoeffer was the most fulfilling experience so far professionally and humanely. So this is what the mornings include. So you think of your time at Prairie College and what you might do in the morning. Well, this is what they did. Upon waking, they had the observance of silence. I don't know how well that would go over with you in the morning, but maybe if you're tired, that might go good. Participation in a 45-minute service, including the reading of the Old Testament, Dr. Imes would be proud of that, and New Testaments, so Dr. Allison would also be proud. Prayers and the singing of hymns, meditating on the Word of God, and even sports. Yeah, any of you sports people out there? And they also did some other fun activities. So Bonhoeffer believed in holistic living and what the true Christian community is like. Uh, In his book, Life Together, Dietrich writes, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending people with claims and petitions into our life. We may pass by them, preoccupied with our more important tasks, as the priest passed by the man who had fallen among the thieves, perhaps even reading the Bible. When we do that, we pass by the visible sign of the cross, right all for our path, to show us that not our way, but God's way must be done. And so for us at Prairie, uh, what Dietrich was trying to shape really reminded me of our campus here in what we do. We have integrated spiritual formation practices along with our academics. So we have daily chapels. We have impact groups. We have service for worshiping and serving together. We have planned fun events that the student union does for us. We sharpen our minds through corporate days of prayer and Christian Life Week. And even this week, we're having what? GCC, absolutely. And uh, in 1937, Bonhoeffer resigned as the World Alliance Youth Secretary in protest of the Alliance's failure to speak out for the Jews. By September that same year, the German secret police closed his seminary down. And in November, his book, The Cost of Discipleship, was published. Now, in 1939, he was invited again back to the States uh, on a lecture tour and secretly, I think, for them to try to secure Bonhoeffer's freedom. But Dietrich actually conceded after only 28 days abroad, and he returned to Germany to help the confessing church. One biographer comments that Dietrich's many years spent in church reform now moved him into an actionable political resistance. And so Dietrich uh, worked under pretense in German's military intelligence office called the Abwehr, where he was able to provide military information to foreign contacts. 
He would use his trips abroad to actually spy by conveying information to British government and other allied forces. He was also involved in a secret campaign that successfully brought 14 Berlin Jews to safety in Switzerland, and he was integral in a secret plan to eliminate Hitler. On September 9, 1940, Bonhoeffer was prohibited from public speaking and ordered to report regularly to Hitler's secret police, the Gestapo. The early 1940s see Bonhoeffer continue to work for the resistance movements, and the years intensify under pressure from the Nazi secret police. In January 1943, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, now in his mid to late 30s, now listen to this, was engaged to 18-year-old Marie von Vettermeer. So any of you who are engaged, your parents might be wondering now if you're engaged to a man twice as old as you. So they were concerned uh, for their daughter, but Dietrich and Marie agreed to wait one year from their engagement to get married. Soon after, though, Dietrich was arrested, and he became a prisoner. Sadly, Dietrich and Marie were never married. He wrote to her often from prison. He said, our marriage must be a yes to God's earth. It must strengthen our resolve to do and accomplish something on earth. I fear that Christians who venture to stand on earth on only one leg will stand in heaven only on one leg. Dietrich's prison times were challenging for him, and he always took time to contemplate who he was. And maybe you've done that this year. You've thought, who actually am I? Uh, he wrote this in a form of a letter. But Bonhoeffer was realistic about himself. Who am I? They often tell me I would step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I would talk to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I would bear the days of misfortune equably, smiling, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that which other men tell me of? Or am I only what I know of myself? Restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for flowers for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, trembling with anger at despotisms and petty humiliation, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptibly woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. So Dietrich continued to ponder who he was in prison. 
Uh, in April 5, 1945, Hitler gave orders to annihilate the Canaris resistance group, which included Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was then moved to the Flossenburg concentration camp, where Dietrich was court-martialed and given a death sentence. The camp doctor who witnessed the execution of Bonhoeffer wrote, it was the most deeply I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God had heard his prayers. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and climbed a few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. The doctor writes, in almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's final words to Bishop Bell, April 8, 1945, were, this is the end, dash, for me, the beginning of life. Dietrich was executed the next day by hanging on April 9, 1945, at only 39 years of age. I wanted to uh, end today by the reading of a poem by Linda Ellis. And so if you're in the house, why don't you stand? This will be our last piece for today. Uh, Linda Ellis writes The Dash. She writes, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears, but he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years, for that dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remember the special dash might only last a while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they'd say about how you spent your dash? So in Dietrich's dash, we find a German Lutheran theologian and pastor embracing divine moments in life and fulfilling his purpose for his generation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Dietrich's life. We pray that as we think about our own lives at Prairie, that you would help us to use our time well, that you would help us to integrate uh, the things that we're learning in the classroom along with our spiritual formation practices like daily chapel and prayer and reading of your word. We pray that we might uh, enjoy each of those divine moments because we never know when you're going to use one to change our life. So we pray with that that you dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.